Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. If we can teach our kids to take into account both their needs and other people's needs and figure out solutions from there, not only are they going to do better in their workplace, but then what we do in the family is what ends up being part of what we do in society as well. And it's part of that evolution. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 269. Today, we're talking about mindful parenting. You'll hear me interviewed by Rachel Rainbolt of Sage Family Podcast. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Kids. Hello, dear listener. I am so grateful to be in your ears today. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Rachel Rainbolt. As you may know, she was already on our podcast. And then I went on her podcast, onto the Sage Family Podcast. And we are airing the audio from that podcast here. And we're going to talk about what it means to parent mindfully. We're going to talk about what it's like, what's happening in our brains and our bodies when we feel the stress response, what mindfulness is, and how it's this superpower that can really help parents and kids grow more grounded and stronger and get better relationships in 
all kinds of different ways. So this is a longer conversation than usual, but I invite you to listen to the end for some awesome takeaways. You're going to hear some advice on win-win problem solving. We're going to talk a lot about empathy and how we can get creative in finding solutions that meet the needs of everyone in our families. So this is a really great conversation. We have a lot of fun. So I can't wait for you to join me at the table for this conversation. And before we dive in, I want to let you know that I am opening enrollment now for our fall 2021 Mindful Parenting Teacher Certification Program. If you are interested in becoming a mindful parenting teacher, we certify you to teach our mindful parenting course in this program. And to learn more about it and to apply to the program, we only accept about 50% of applicants at this point, maybe even a little less, but go check it out at mindfulparentingcourse.com teach. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com teach. If you're interested in the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training Program, now is the time to apply and learn about it. And if you're interested in the membership and joining the membership, you can get on that wait list by going to mindfulparentingcourse.com. So the mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach for the teacher certification program and mindfulparentingcourse.com to learn more about the membership and get on the wait list. We'll give you some, the free mindful parenting roadmap when you do that too. So I hope this is helpful and I can't wait for you to dive into this episode with me and join me for this really fun conversation. It'll be like sitting down with two friends. Rachel feels like my new long distance BFF in this episode and, and I really enjoy her company. So join us at the table as we talk about mindful parenting. I was a guest on Hunter's Mindful Mama podcast, and I read her book, Raising Good Humans, and thoroughly enjoyed both. She brings the topic of mindfulness into the parenting conversation, which is something that has long been brewing for me. Welcome to the show, Hunter. I'm so glad to be here, Rachel. Thank you. Will you introduce yourself and share a bit about who you are and what you're passionate about? Sure. I am definitely really passionate about the work that I do. That's it's really something that that drives me. I am, you know, that I'm I do the Mindful Mama podcast. So they call me the Mindful Mama Mentor and I teach uh, mindful parenting, which is for me like the most, I mean, for me, it's like this sort of culmination of a lot of the work that I've done. And now I'm actually really excited because I'm teaching a mindful parenting teacher training, which is so cool. And we have mm. a certified mindful parenting teacher in Montana, if you are in Montana, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, you know, I come at this because I struggled enormously <laughs> and as, uh, you know, as a young parent and with my young child and I had a big temper and, um, you know, it was something that I was like, was so important to me. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to not mess up my relationship with my child. I desperately yeah. wanted not to do that. And so, you know, this became this driving force for me to, to learn and grow because otherwise I was, you know, I was going to see these sort of same harmful patterns, uh, get passed on. 
So, um, so that's kind of like that, that sort of like, you know, in the nutshell version of that story. (laughs) I like it. And okay. So you said you had some, you showed up for the parenting game, perhaps letting your stress response take over a bit more than you wanted. So talk to us about what's happening in our brains and bodies when we feel the stress response. Sure. Yeah. And so this, yeah, definitely like I could see that for me enormously. Um, and, and it's interesting because what's happening in our brains and bodies is, is you know, we are uh, animals, right? <laughs> that evolved. We are, we are mammals that evolved to survive and our stress response, that part of the brain is actually one of the only systems that's like completely fully hundred percent developed at birth. Right. It's so, so important to keep our to keep our ourselves safe and and alive. Right. So we need to be able to respond to threats. And um, so it's, it's we are highly, highly attuned and wired to respond to threats. And so the way we are raised and our culture and our just our biology and our wiring really um, can add and contribute to this. So what's happening when our kids are losing it? what I saw, and it's so funny because I think back now to my oldest daughter who's going to be 14 and when she was two and she was like so cute, even like 18 months old, she was so adorable. And like, I had this like incredible temper response, like this Mm. anger that was arising. And I could see that it was part of it was my upbringing, my, my genetic, you know, uh, genes from my, my family and my father and my father's temper, you know, that kind of thing passed on. But also, my nervous system was perceiving my child's big upset feelings as a threat. And so therefore what's happening, it's really interesting to know that what's happening in the brain in the, in the nervous system is that the, you know, we know that it's that, that fight flight or freeze stress response. And it's interesting because it's really literally like kind of cutting off access to the more thoughtful parts of your brain. You know, we want to be able to parent in those difficult moments with like our rational ability and yeah. our logic and our empathy and all of these things. Like we may have learned some great things to say and we want to use those. But unfortunately what's happening is that when that stress response is happening in order to be instantly reactive, we're literally bypassing those slower prefrontal cortex, uh, parts of the brain where, where all of that, you know, logic and empathy and all that good stuff is, is, um, originates from. So just so that we can be reactive. So we're literally not able to access all of our brain, which is frustrating, but it, it is, um, it is something that it is something that we can change, uh, which is the good news. Yeah. So when we feel threatened, the the fight flight freeze part of our brain that lower part of our brain the caveman part of our brain that evolved to keep us alive sort of takes over and we lose access to that higher thinking part of our brain so before we can show up with intention and consciousness we have to sort of soothe that threatened part of our brain first right (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I think it's so helpful to understand this too, this piece about the nervous system too, because it helps to take a lot of the like blame and shame out of it because it's not your fault if you're losing it. Like it's not your fault. You didn't wake up in the morning and decide 
to like yell at your kids at 3.30, you know, like no one, no one decides to lose it at their kids. It's not like a conscious choice that we make. Okay. Maybe never say never. But anyway, (laughs) if you're listening to this, I guarantee that you are not decided to do this. So it's important to just acknowledge that and recognize that it's not your fault your fault. Like it's not a choice that you're making and you can make a choice to start to shift and change those patterns. But this is just our biology. This is just the way we are wired. So the whole, um, blaming and shaming and, you know, blaming our like willpower, whatever that is, is, is fruitless. It's not helpful. Um, we, instead we can get on with the, 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 uh, process of like learning how to soothe as you talked about yeah and like we kind of talked about like what's happening in the brain and when that part of your brain takes over like you feel a lot of the symptoms in your body like your heart rate goes up your breathing gets quicker there you feel start to feel a lot of tension in your muscles right did you feel that kind of stuff when your stress response was triggered (laughs) Of course, all of that. The jaw, right? You're like, yes. I'm like gritting my teeth. <laughs> right? And and it just is very natural that your body directs it outward at this threat. We tend to be very outwardly oriented. And then especially now we don't have the whole brain on going. <laughs> we're not firing on all cylinders. So, you know, we're, we're not at our best. Yes. Okay. So what is mindfulness and how is it helpful when we're in that stress response? Well, mindfulness is the, you know, it's actually really kind of like an attitude and a practice and a state of mind, but it's, it's uh, about bringing our it's, it's a process of bringing our attention into the present moment uh, with an attitude of kindness and curiosity. And, okay, so what's that? Um, <laughs> we, you know, we, it's, it's, it's really about mindfulness helps us to, to develop our awareness of what's really happening in the present moment. So in some of those moments, you know, we're completely unaware, like we're in the storytelling mind where we're really other focused and really we can, what mindfulness helps us to do is a bunch of things, but it helps us to put our attention where we want to put our attention. It kind of puts us a little bit more in control of our attention. So let me just explain how this happens, right? So my mindful, we practice mindfulness, the gold standard for practice. There's many ways to practice, but the gold standard for practice is a mindfulness meditation. And what's happening in that mindfulness meditation is that we're, we're sitting, you know, generally kind of sitting still for a few minutes every day. And what we're doing is we're building a muscle of non-reactivity. We're building a muscle of being able to come into the present moment and not just be pushed and pulled and react to everything that's there. It's not like we tend to think like we see these pictures of people on like beaches or mountain tops with their like their, their fingers making this funny shape. And (laughs) we tend to think that like, you know, like fairy dust is like just surrounding them and they're in like, it's only for Buddhist monks. It's like they're in a space of bliss, you know, and it's couldn't be further from the truth because what happens is when you sit, you know, all your usual stuff comes up. Like you get distracted by thoughts of what you're going to do later. Sometimes anxieties come up, all kinds of different things come up and you practice to sit 
and not react to those things. And so what that helps us to kind of build a muscle of non-reactivity uh, in in all kinds of other moments, which which is really beautiful. And and if you're you want, I can tell you about how that shifts the brain, which is is really fascinating too. Yeah. Well, and talk to me about like maybe you could walk me through an example. Like, say you're standing there, and your two year old is in the midst of really big feelings, like you said earlier. How does mindfulness, like, how do you engage with mindfulness in a moment like that? So let's assume that you've been practicing for a little while. You're like building that muscle, right? Because mm. this is like the big game. You're not going to, you're not going to get, you know, like send a, a, uh, a child into the Little League World Series without having them practice and build <laughs> some muscle memory, right? So let's assume like we've practiced and we've built a little muscle memory and then we get to the, our big game and our two-year-olds having a meltdown and everything's crazy. And so our stress response starts to happen and we can start to see it. Oh, like I'm, my jaw is tight. My heart's racing. Oh, they're melting down. Oh, look what's happening for me. Like my heart is racing. We can start to see this happening in our body. And so if, as we start to become, because we built this muscle, we can start to become aware of this happening in our body and when we're aware of it, when we're not just like being driven by it, but when we're aware of it, we can, we then have a choice. Oh, okay. My stress response is happening. I need to do something to take care of my stress response. So we can start to take steps to calm down that stress response. You know, using kind of, you know, we can talk about those tools, uh, you know, to, to soothe that stress response. But what's really happening is that if, if we're practicing to be non-reactive, we're practicing to say, oh, this is what's happening. I feel my heart beating. I see my child freaking out. Okay, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out, I'm watching this, and I'm practicing to not do really anything at all because we know that there's not really much to do for yeah. a two-year-old temper tantrum, but we're just practicing to be present with kindness and curiosity with ourselves and with our child. And that is an enormous gift to our child and to ourselves because it shows our child that we accept them for who they are, <laughs> difficult feelings and, and all. And, um, and for ourselves, when we can get to that point where we can sit and even though it's difficult, even though it sucks, we can breathe in and out and we can maybe we put our hands on the floor, we put our body on the floor, we ground ourselves. And when we can do that, it's just like, it's this triumph, right? Because we're not being pushed and pulled so much by the re by that that nervous system, and instead we're making a choice to be there. And even though it may be uncomfortable, we're showing ourselves that we can be there. We can do this difficult thing, and it's this huge gift. Yes. Okay. Holding a beginner's mind brings an open-minded curiosity to everyday moments. Walk us through an example of how we can hold a beginner's mind. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And the season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. 
So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So beginner's mind is this idea of um, always bringing, of, of practicing to bring the, bring ourselves, you know, as if we were a beginner to all kinds of situations. It's this idea of fresh looking, like looking at things in in a fresh way. And what we tend to do as parents is to kind of take mental shortcuts. We tend to be on autopilot. We tend to be busy and we tend, the mental shortcuts we tend to take, some of them are like labeling. We're not really seeing, not seeing the moment, like not really being present. We're kind of going on to the next thing. We kind of just like, like live in our stories. Like the stories are just like, if your child is upset, it's like, oh, she's dramatic. And and like throughout the whole day, we're just sort of living out all these stories about ourselves, about the world around us, about the people in our world. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This is the dramatic emotional child. And so when we, when we, take that story we've we've applied this story to our child as this label then we start to we stop being curious right Mm -hmm. as soon as like we're in this place of like we've i've i've decided i've I'm in a place of judgment right where Mm -hmm. i've decided that this is who you are and this is what this is we stop to really look because judgment is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from curiosity and curiosity is that essential component of mindfulness right and it's this this idea of like well, actually, can I, what if I was in a place of who are you right now? You know, because our, the truth is, is that the only constant thing in life is change. Our kids are constantly changing in every moment. They're growing so incredibly fast. It's before our eyes. They're changing every day. Who, who are you right now? Can I be curious about who you are? Can I be curious about what your needs are, what your thoughts are? You know, can I, can I bring this sense of, of wonder and freshness? And sometimes it can be helpful even to think about like, boy, if I were like an alien beam down into my body <laughs> <laughs> and I was looking at this 
crazy family situation afresh, what would I be seeing? And that can be really a helpful practice to bring ourselves into beginner's mind. And, and it really just helps us to, to be more present, to, to real, really see, to, you know, instead of, instead of seeing only our stories or, or having our stories really prevent us from, from, you know, a real awareness and seeing it's, it's, it's about helping ourselves to cut through that. Yeah. Sometimes I invite my clients and coaching to become scientists and mm. that sort of visualization or conceptualization, conceptualization can sometimes be helpful because we, particularly when you're trying to like, you're kind of stuck in this problematic dynamic or this pattern of behavior, or this, this big challenge that you're kind of experiencing on repeat and your judgments get in the way of you being able to see the situation clearly and accurately. So if your judgment mm -hmm. is just, she wants attention, like, and that's, that's what you tell yourself every time these kinds of behaviors come up or every time you're in this situation with your child, that really like shuts off any learning mm -hmm. that, that you can gain in that moment. And so sometimes I'll invite my clients to like, be a scientist in that moment. Like the next time this situation comes up, I want you to like step back from it, like out of yourself, pretend you're just this totally neutral, like third party observer. And all you're doing is collecting data. Mm -hmm. You're not forming mm -hmm. any conclusions. You're not, you're not, you know, going, all you're doing is just collecting raw data. We need that raw data. And sometimes like that, I feel like that can help people get at that beginner's mindset of mm -hmm. like, I, of just non-judgmental, like observation or open-minded curiosity, like to just look uh, and get yeah. really like present with what you're seeing and hearing and feeling and just to notice those things. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's true. Like wh what we know, we see what we're looking for, you know? Yes. So if we're telling a story, like my child isn't manipulating me or she just wants attention or whatever yeah. it is, that's what we see. That's just the, how humans work. You know, like if we're, if you buy uh, if you buy a Prius, you're, you're driving on the road. All you're seeing is Priuses everywhere, right? <laughs> like it's all you see. We know that, right? But if you, but if you buy yourself a Honda, you're going to start to see Hondas everywhere. Like this is, this is how the human mind works. So what we're, what this, we're inviting you to do is like kind of step out of that completely. Like, I love that. Be a scientist is a great idea. Be a scientist or be, be an alien. Yeah. <laughs> I like this. We're giving people some fun role playing to do in this episode. <laughs> okay. Acknowledgement is a significant part of my recipe for living and parenting mindfully. And it is to accept and identify the thoughts, feelings, and sensations we're experiencing in the present moment. It sounds so simple, yet it's so powerful, right? <laughs> How yes. has acknowledgement been helpful for you? Yes. Uh, well, you know, we, this is, it's like a, such a simple thing that we tend to just skip over, right? Okay. I mean, we tend to skip over this as parents. So, um, you know, <clears throat> an example of this is our child comes to us with a problem, you know, maybe their, their brother did this to them and blah, 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 blah. And they're upset. You know, they come to us with some problem and in our discomfort with them being upset, we jump to wanting to solve the problem or fix the problem or make it go away. So we 
you know, we, we do those things. We try to solve the problem or fix the problem. But if we put in this step of just acknowledging what's going on, it's like incredibly healing. It just is like, yeah. oh, you hear me and you see me. For instance, one of the things that happens all the time is like you, if you're in a playground, you see, you know, a child running to the parents like, oh, I have a boo-boo, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. And they, you hear them like dismissing that like, you're oh, fine. you're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're fine. But like if you just acknowledge that, like, oh, owie, I bet that hurt. It's like, yeah. Often it's like, yep thanks bye you know it's like yes. solved it's like this magical healing thing to just be like I see you I hear you because any time our child is communicating with us they want to be seen and heard so um so you know that piece about acknowledgement is is incredible it's so funny though because as I talk about this like I'm thinking about my almost 14 year old right on the edge of 14 and and she's like not wanting to be seen or heard at this point. She's like, don't see me. Don't hear me. I'm in my room. I'm hiding. That's <laughs> so funny. I mean, acknowledgement really is like part of my parenting superpower. And it's it, like, it's not something I was born with. Like it's something that has been like, I've worked for it. Like you described it. It's like a muscle. So if my kid comes to me and says like, I hate my sibling. I don't think my kids say that really, but something like that, you know, like I hate my sibling. And I might say something like, you're feeling a really strong negative emotion right now. Like, is it anger? Are you really angry at him right now? Like it just, you just keep doing that in, in the face of whatever it is they throw at you. And it, completely disarms their limbic system, right? Like their warrior in those moments when their warrior has taken over. If you just respond to all of what they say with acknowledgement, it's, it's, um, it's incredible how quickly their warrior is disarmed. Like they feel safe, they feel seen, they feel understood. And then they get back into that like more higher thinking part of their brain where they can move into things like collaboration, which we'll talk about later. But that acknowledgement piece is so powerful in working with your kids. And it's also so powerful in working with yourself. Like we tend to be even more judgmental with ourselves than we are with our kids. So just acknowledging the thoughts that you're having, the feelings that you're feeling, the sensations that you're experiencing in your body, when we can just acknowledge that, like no judgment, no action, just acknowledging it, like that is, that can be step one of a huge change in how you show up in the world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, nothing, nothing is healed if we're not facing it. Right. Yeah. You know, we just have to be real. And that's really what that attitude of mindfulness is about is like, let's be aware of what's really happening here. What's yes. happening here. You know, what you described, acknowledging, reflecting back to our kids. Yeah. It turns that emotional temperature down so enormously and it can help also turn our own emotional temperature down. You know, if mm -hmm. we're in a moment where we're getting heated, you know, we, you, we start to acknowledge verbally out loud for further on sooner in the timeline. So what happens so often is like parents will be like, I want to be calm and mindful. And I'm like, I'm calm and I'm calm and I'm calm and I'm calm and I'm calm. <laughs> and I'm calm and I'm, 
losing it because I can't pick up any more brain. And it's like, that's not that helpful. It's not good to fake calm. Our kids have amazing BS meters, right? Yeah. Like some, some, sometimes it is. But, you know, if we can start to then acknowledge our feelings earlier in that timeline, like I'm starting to feel annoyed right now because, uh, you know, the way you're talking to me or I'm feeling really frustrated right now. Not only does it lower our own emotional temperature, but it's like a bell of mindfulness. Oh, I've got to, maybe I need a break. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe I need to, you know, maybe I need to just slow down, take some deep breaths, maybe whatever you're needing, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I'm starting down. It's just acknowledging that I am at this place down this path. And if I don't do take some action to take care of myself, take care of my stress response, then I'm going to go further. Yeah. And, and you can do that out loud in the beginning too. I mean, not even just the beginning, you can do it out loud. Like that's tremendous role modeling for your kids. Like you'll feel really kind of silly doing it at first. Um, <laughs> but the more you do it, it, like it'll feel awkward at first, the more you do it, the more natural it'll start to feel. And then it'll just, it will just become your nature. Um, but doing it out loud, even, especially when you have young kids, I mean, if you're in the middle of an office, like <laughs> <laughs> might be a little weird, but Maybe um, <laughs> like when I'm, when I'm with my kids, I, I am often doing this out loud. Um, and it helps them cause they might not have, depending on their age, the emotional intelligence yet to be able to look for those subtle cues in you. So when you can do it out loud, it helps them, but also it's tremendous role modeling because then yeah. you sort of build that framework in their minds of like, this is what we do. Like when we start to feel our temperature rise, as you say, like that emotional temperature rise, like we can like become aware of what we're, th of our thoughts and our feelings and our sensations. Um, it's just a really powerful practice. And if you do it out loud, it kind of invites your kids into the scene with you. Absolutely. It's emotional intelligence training right there. Yeah. All right, let's talk about kindness and empathy. So I'm going to read a quote from your book. Force and manipulation are not the same as authority, and fear is not the same as respect. We forget mm -hmm. that if we use force, manipulation, and fear with our children, they will learn to use these tactics with others. Instead, if we want them to value kindness, we must practice kindness, even while we hold limits. I loved that quote. Why do you prefer empathy as the parenting superpower? Mm, well, you know, kindness and empathy, you know, we, we are going to have to hold limits. We're going to have to hold plenty of limits, right? Mm -hmm. And we can do them kindly, right? We can do them with empathy. And the, what, I, what we're talking about here is that is that modeling, right? We want our kids, we want to have strong relationships with our kids. Our, our relationship with our child is a, a relationship with another human being, just like our relationship with our spouse or partner is a relationship. And, and it takes, um, it takes, you know, work and effort in a lot of ways, just like a relationship or like a marriage does. And so when we're leading with kindness, when we're re leading with acknowledgement, I see you, I hear you. When we're leading with empathy. I'm listening. I'm, I'm present. I, um, I'm here for your big feelings. Those, those are things that they, our kids absorb. It, it, it's heals. It's healing. It's connecting. It really adds a lot of deposits in that relationship bank account, but it is also modeling. 
you know, we all know the like cliche of the like parent who's like, stop yelling at me, cry it, you know, like that yes. just like just doesn't work because our kids have amazing BS meters and our, you know, our, our, they're going to, you, who you are, you know, we have to live what we want our kids to learn, yeah. you know, so if we want them to be kind and empathetic with us, you know, we have to lead with that. And sometimes that's so hard. You know, when you have a child who may be angry at you because you're holding a limit and they're upset and they're defensive and they're like got an attitude and calling you, you know, whatever, it's hard to then, it's hard to not um, mirror that behavior, right? Like that's yeah. what human beings tend to do. It's it's really, we tend to have give congruent behavior, right? Like that same kind of behavior. But if instead, if our child is upset and we answer that, we, we hold that limit, we, we answer that, that upsetness with a sense of kindness and empathy or even like some vulnerability, you know, like uh, there's not a lot to fight against. We're just being yeah. human or we're just being open. You know, for instance, when my teenager is you know gives me a talks to me in kind of an, an a snarky teenager way you know I say wow when you talk to me like that like it hurts my feelings I don't like that's hard for me to hang with you when you talk to me like that like there's nothing for her to argue with yeah you know I'm she's you know if you have the image of like two fists meeting like that's not going to work you're just in conflict but if you this is kind of like a like a jujitsu move, I guess, like one <laughs> fist is shamming and the other fist is like, I'm just yes. like opening myself up. There's no, nothing to fight about then. And the whole thing melts away. So it, it, it really is about modeling that and about just like, you know, creating that, that, um, that, that sense of like you always being kind of a safe place too. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind 
kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Yes, yes. And when we're thinking about the bigger picture, like in the last episode, I was talking to Iris Chen um, about untigering and a lot of that conversation centered around sort of dismantling systems of oppression, like starting within the family. And if you are parenting from a place where like the people with the most power act upon the people with less power against their will, like (laughs) pressing them through force... I mean, that gets reverberated out into the larger system, right? And when those people, when if you're a kid and you were disempowered and overpowered as a child, then when you grow into adulthood, A, you have that template in mind that that's how relationships work. This is how we relate to another person. But then also you have this sense of of like now it's your turn now you get to reclaim your power and so then you act upon the people who are smaller than you so like we want to just dismantle like let that end with you like let that intergenerational power grab you know control based relationship model end with you like you can change your whole family tree and like empathy and kindness is really, I mean, these are key to that because the parent-child relationship is just a relationship, just like your relationship with anyone else. Like, how do you show up in relationships with other human beings? Like, think of your exactly. children as other human beings. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you know, it's interesting, though, like, because as you talk about that, like, I can hear the like I can hear the like frustration for the parent who's like okay but how do I get my kid in the car seat who's like (laughs) running around and is not responding to my kind entreaties right like is not Mm -hmm. responding to that and it's interesting because you know we're in this place as parents of we're in a relationship and it's so helpful to start to shift into I'm in a relationship with this other human being who is fully deserving of my respect. But we're also in a place of like, I'm in a place where I do naturally have power over you, you know, and I do have, and that power is used to protect you, right? And this is used to keep you safe. And there is a hierarchy there, right? And it's interesting because we're in this place of like modeling and teaching, but also holding those boundaries. And there may be times, you know, I, I teach, you know, all in mindful parenting, I teach the skills of like all the communication, good communication skills you need and all the skills you need to like calm your reactivity and all of those things. And, and one thing that sometimes comes up is that, you know, the more we can do this, the more we can relate in a way um, that is not using our power the better, right? Like our relationships get better and better and we have more cooperation. It snowballs easier and easier. And sometimes there are so many situations in the world. Like sometimes there may be times where you have to use your power. Like you may have a situation where you have to get the kid into the car seat and all of your skillful means have not, have not like worked in that moment. Right. And so we can, the idea of then leading with kindness and leaning with empathy, we can even do that in situations where we may have to use power, right? Where we may have to say, I'm so sorry, honey, I hate to do this, but we really, I have to, I have to bring you into this car seat and I'm going to do it as kindly as I can. You know, it's, it, I kind of think of it as like, 
like the 80-20 rule, right? Like we're like the more we can use our 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 skillful means, the the more we can use our influence, the more we can use our relating, the more we can get present in our bodies and really be there. It's it improves things so much more, you know, it's like better and better and better. And there's there's all kinds of situations in the world. So I just want to put that out there for the listener who's like Ah, you know what I mean? Do you see what I'm saying, Rachel? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think like there are two responses I, I want to say to that. Hopefully I won't forget mm-hmm. the second one. I'm talking about the first. <laughs> but the first would be that like we hold boundaries in other relationships too. You know, yeah. so like if you had, like you talked about the alien, like imagine your child is a foreign exchange student who like doesn't understand the customs here, doesn't, you know, and you have to help them safely navigate this country you know you Mm. you wouldn't drive the car if they weren't wearing a seatbelt, even if that's not something they're accustomed to like we we have to hold boundaries with people with our partners with you know people on the phone whatever like we hold boundaries often so i think that holding boundaries and being and being in your power like you can be in your power without um overpowering other people as like the culture of your relationship. So I think like mm-hmm. the holding boundaries and centering kindness and empathy, those are not like mutually exclusive. Um, mm-hmm. I love what you said too about like the 80, 20 thing. And I'll speak to that for a minute that it is absolutely true that if you are brave enough to let go of all of the arbitrary boundaries that don't actually serve anyone, like you're just doing them to regain a sense of control or or because you feel like you quote unquote should or because you fear perceived judgment of others. Like if you can honestly let go of all the stuff, the crap that doesn't matter, then mm-hmm. when you do have that 10 or 20% of the time where you insist that this boundary is really important and can explain why your kids are so much more amenable Mm -hmm. to that it's a trust thing like my kids trust that I'm not going to make them do something without a good reason for doing it and I'm always willing to like engage with in a dialogue with them about it and I help them move through whatever that boundary is as gently as I possibly can like quickly calmly clearly (laughs) swiftly whatever through that, through those hard moments, um, but I still think that like that ki- like centering that kindness and empathy as you do these things, and even when you hold boundaries, is really important. I I couldn't agree with you more. All the things you said, completely, <laughs> Rachel. And and I think about those, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned those arbitrary boundaries too, because it's so interesting, right? Because we think about those boundaries and like, yeah, like the, the like car seat boundary comes up and that's like so super important. But then we do dumb stuff like, you know, where we use as parents, like where we use power on like dumb arbitrary boundaries. Like, so for instance, when my child was little, she wouldn't get dressed in the morning. And so I said, okay, I said, I'm packing your clothes in a bag and let's go to school. And she went to school and I gave her to her teacher and I said, here are her clothes. She wouldn't get dressed this morning. And she got dressed at school. You know, (laughs) it's like, it wasn't, I, who, who cares? You know, like I didn't care about that. Like no one's going to die. I don't care. You know, I, it's, 
you, so I mean, there's a there's some examination of your own stuff, right? That comes yeah. up around that, right? Like, you know, for me, totally. that was that wasn't a hard thing to just send my kid to school in, bound, in pajamas, but for someone else, it may be a lot of work involved in that, and that's yeah. okay. But but I I love that mention, and yeah, it's like you know, we, we put all those deposits in our relationship bank account. We treat our kids with respect. We listen to them. We're present for them as much as we possibly, you know, as much as we can, we're not going to, we don't have to be super moms. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to like, we don't have to respond super well, like all the time, but as much as we can. And what that does is it creates this, you know, these, I, and, and that metaphor, really resonates with me that those deposits like in that relationship bank account. So then when you get to that moment where you're like, no, this is really important. You know, I'm insisting on this thing. Yeah. Then we have like the, we have the, we have credit there yeah. to, to withdraw. Yeah. I mean, and even in like the car seat example, it's a great example because it's one of those situations where so often, um, like we just need to bring some more creativity and flexibility to the to the situation to like collaborate yeah. a solution with our kids. Like when my one of my kids was in, I feel like they all go through a season of that, right? Of like not wanting to be strapped into the car seat, which is totally understandable. So when I'm in that season, was in that season, there was a lot of like, how long do you think you want to play in the car? Like before we get in the car seat, you know? And they would like make up a number, like. 37 minutes like okay so we'll get in the car 37 minutes before we have to leave and so like we would literally get in the car like 37 minutes before we'd have to leave and they would like be jumping around and bouncing around the car I would say okay you tell me when you're ready we have all the time in the world like we have we have 37 minutes that's a long time so you take your time and you just let me know when you're ready to help for me to help you with the buckle and like it, it's like you mentioned in the book, I think like that rushing is experienced as like a threat, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Our nervous system sees it as a threat. Yes, Why would we rush yes. unless there's some threat around? Yes. yes. So like sometimes if we can just like give those hard moments more time, it can make yeah. a big difference. And then on those rare times where you're like, oh my gosh, honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize what time it was. And you actually have a really important doctor's appointment that I can't reschedule. And it starts in like 15 minutes. And so we're not going to have the time to wiggle around the car before I buckle you. You know, this was my mistake and I'm so sorry. And after the doctor's appointment, you can wiggle around in the car for as long as you want. We have nothing after that, okay? So I'm going to help get your body in right now. I'm putting your arms in. I'm buckling the top. I'm right here with you. I know this isn't how you like to get into the car. I'm really sorry I I missed the, the right time. You know, like, so we're, we're still being kind. We're still being empathetic. We're owning the part of it that's ours. And we're just creatively trying to come up to, to the, trying to think of a way of helping them meet that fundamental need of having control over their own bodies in this car um, mm-hmm. by saying, like, we'll, we'll, do, we'll move through our routine right after the appointment. Yeah, and I think that's a great argument for one of the pieces I talk about in the, like, last, in the last part of Raising Good Humans, which is, simplifying and I know this is a big thing for you Rachel yes. but this idea of just having simpler schedules like less clutter less distraction and, and and definitely those simpler schedules I mean I remember when I would take my daughter to a tumbling class at the YMCA and I would talk to some um, some moms and they're like oh yeah like in 15 minutes we go to swimming right after this and I was like oh my god like good <laughs> lord like <laughs> you know yeah. and the idea of like doing one thing after another it really does create all that stress and doesn't create any room for that 
creativity either in your mind or your schedule. Yeah, so many people view so many things in their schedule as like immovable and unquestioning, uh, unquestionable in coaching. I am often pushing very hard on that very point. Like literally everything in your schedule is up for debate. Like it, it is up <laughs> for moving changing. I mean, I worked with a family whose child was receiving chemotherapy appointments. Those appointments were movable. Like she sat down, she had a meeting with the care team and they worked out a schedule that worked better for her family. So like everything is flexible and movable and it can make a really big difference because for us, rushing feels like a threat too, just like it does for our kids. Yeah. Yes. It adds a lot of stress into our lives. Okay, let's talk about resistance. I'm going to read another quote that I love from your book. Suppressing our feelings is another unhealthy emotional pattern that previous generations have passed down to us. The story we've been told is, don't have those feelings. They make me uncomfortable. You are wrong for having those feelings. And then we either attempt to block out our feelings or we become flooded by the emotions we've been trying to suppress. So that's the, con the context for how we get to this formula in the book that says, Pain times resistance equals suffering. I mm. cannot emphasize the importance of understanding this enough. I try very hard to instill in my children a trust in themselves to feel their feelings because the present moment's experience isn't what causes most people's problems. It's the avoidance of those feelings that does. Can you talk yes. more about what that formula means? Sure. And I can't take credit for that formula. And I don't know off the top of my head who did come up with that. So I just want to acknowledge that right there. But yeah, we are inevitably going to have pain in life where it's inevitable. We mm -hmm. are all of the nature to grow old, get sick and die. You know, we all have physical and emotional pain in our lives. And that's part of life. Um, but the more we, <clears throat> so that's that pain part, the more we resist that pain, the more we say, I don't want this pain, I don't want this pain, I'm going to avoid this pain, no, 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 the no, 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 no. And you can even say, like, I invite you, listener, to, to like, kind of close your eyes and imagine yourself saying, like, no, 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 and you can, like, feel your face, like, scrunch up and your body tighten, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's resistance, that's your body tightening against something, right? Like, and you're, you're tightening against it. And what that creates, the more resistance we have, the more suffering we have. And, um, there's a kind of a, I have a kind of funny example of this, but like, uh, I heard the story once of like this, uh, this monk that was like in the, like meditating in the forest or something. <laughs> right. And I, and it really, yeah, he was telling the story and he had to, he had been, he'd been meditating in the forest for a certain amount of time and he had to, he had a tooth that had gotten bad. Right. And he had to remove, he had to like remove his tooth. Oof. And so this is like a level is like a, a, a next level of ability to be in the present moment. Right. Because he described how he, he, he like somehow he got, you know, he got his tooth removed with, without any like pain meds or anything, but he, the, but what he described is that there was no suffering for him up and, you know, uh, walking to where he was going to get his tooth removed. He was in the present moment. There was zero suffering mm -hmm. for him. And there was pain that happened. And, but there wasn't that pain of 
I'm anticipating this. I'm waiting for this. The opposite of this is my daughter who's 10, who is keeps worrying about her 11 year old birthday because <laughs> she is going to get so like her big sister has told her she's going to get some shots oh. on her 11 year old well child visit. And so she's been anticipating this for the better part of a year. And it's that, it's that story we tell ourselves. It's like that, that anticipating that, that being in something before we're actually in it, that creates all this suffering. If we just are in whatever moment we're in, there may be a painful moment, but if we can be in that moment, at some point that that's going to stop. It's going to be a new moment. It's going to be a different experience, but it's our, it's our, it's our, the suffering comes from our brain, our storytelling mind, holding on to it and rehashing it or resisting it, right? Like, no, 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 that aversion. I don't want that. I don't want that. And so when I coach people and teach people about this, like we actually go through a process of in, in a lot of ways saying like practicing, what does it feel like to say no? And then what does it feel like to say yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. And you can even hear that. Like if you close your eyes and you think, yes, 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 yes. Like, Oh, it's like opens. Like I can feel in my body, like my heart, my, my body opens. There's space for things to move through. So as we let go of our resistance, as we practice accepting whatever is in this moment, um, and we can build a muscle, right. To do that. Then we have less, we have less suffering. And, and I want to also offer a, like an acknowledgement to that. There are a lot of times, you know, sometimes then we think like, Oh, but there are some pains in my life that I'm having trouble facing and, and I'm being with and things like that. And sometimes it's, super skillful to just, uh, we, I don't know, like watch five episodes of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> like sometimes like that's soothing, right? It's you, uh, sometimes a pain is too, maybe you may not, you know, maybe too much to just like open yourself up to it and accept it all right there. And well, I like, just want to acknowledge that that's is not the same of, as avoidance, like to your point. Like, mm -hmm. I would completely agree with that, that like soothing, like I feel more comforted feeling this pain, like when I was grieving after I lost my mother, like I feel more soothed feeling this pain while wrapped in like a thick, soft, warm blanket. Like mm -hmm. I'm not avoiding it. I'm still feeling it, but I'm comforting myself like in that pain. I'm agreeing with you, by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. But I want to, I want to also say that. Sometimes, uh, sometimes not, I, I'm, I'm very contrarian. I'm uh, here. No, I love Rachel. it. But, um, but sometimes it's helpful to avoid the pain, right? So sometimes that pain is so overwhelming for us that it's like we're titrating our attention, mm -hmm. right? And we even talk about that in mindfulness, yes. like we're, 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 we're putting some attention on the pain, we're accepting it, and then we're we are maybe distracting ourselves, like with you know, five episodes of Grey's Anatomy, yeah. whatever it is, right? Like, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Like, I just want to say that that's okay. I mean, yeah, ideally we're going to be like amazing Zen masters, like, <laughs> and like be so completely in the present moment. But like, that's just not that realistic for most of yeah. us. Yeah, to know? catch your breath, to take a break <laughs> yeah. within the context of not villainizing the feeling, but exactly. like just yes. giving yourself a break to catch your breath. No, yeah. I completely agree. I think that when we 
you know, when we come to the table with all those messages from an upbringing saying, don't have those feelings, those feelings are bad, you're bad for having them, it's such a strong aversion to then experiencing feelings. Like anytime there's a feeling, I mean, you think about like drug addiction, like it's like Mm -hmm. an escape from feeling things. Um, Obviously that issue is more complex, but just as a quick example, like uh, so many problems that we see in relationships and life really truly come from trying to avoid experiencing feelings. So if we can just, you know, it it moves in, you feel it, it moves on, like it passes, like just a, a trust in... I think like a deep knowing of how feelings work come from like feeling them, right? Like a practice of feeling them. And then also a trust in yourself to be able to feel them. Like, cause if you've always yeah. been running from them, the notion of stopping, like stop running. Like if you feel like they've been a predator that is pursuing you, the notion of stopping, stopping that running when they come is terrifying. So yes. to just be able to like work on building up that trust over time and maybe part of how you build up that trust is like you said, like you allow yourself to feel it for 10 minutes and then you watch an hour of Grey's Anatomy <laughs> <laughs> and then like feel 10 more minutes. I'm like, cool, like whatever it is that you need to do to allow that feeling to metabolize throughout your body and your mind and your soul, the better. I love the word metabolize because it's true. Like mm. we are we have to process yeah some you know like I kind of think of our feelings as like um like toddlers who are like holding on to our leg and they like will not let go until they are seen and heard you know I mean like they are not gonna they're gonna dog you until they are seen and heard and acknowledged and processed and that's what I think of our feelings as like you know, if we don't acknowledge them, it's like all going to just like pop up later in some painful way. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, this is just stuff we weren't taught. Like yeah. I wasn't taught this, you know, chances are you weren't taught this. There no. maybe were a few people in our generation that were taught this, but like, this is something that we can really practice and teach ourselves. Like it's a way of like reparenting ourselves. And then we can pass that on to our children, like that there are ways to move through difficult feelings. And you're right. Like what's in the micro level is in the macro level, like almost every single bit, like so many issues in the world. It's just stem from this people yeah. being unable to take care of their difficult feelings, like yep. sc- school shootings, like all kinds of stuff in the world, yeah. like c- crazy presidents, like whatever it is, yep. you know, like it, it, there's, there's so much of that. And I really think of this work as a, a like a revolution because yes. it's an evolution. It's a revolution. It's like, we're really changing a fundamental way that our, our species process, you know, moves through the world for the better, which is yes. amazing, you know? Yes. Okay. So now that we understand the importance of feeling our feelings, I want to point out how important it is to let your children be in their present feelings and experiences too. It is not our role as parents to rescue them from their feelings and fix their problems. It is our role to be there for them while they feel those feelings and be a resource for them while they navigate their own problems. Picture holding a crying baby and saying, I hear you, tell me all about it, as opposed to like, stop crying, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like we can't prevent someone we love from ever experiencing discomfort. That is the condition of being alive. But we can be there for and with them in that discomfort. And it's often in that connected listening that we uncover the true need 
anyway that helps them to resolve their own problems. So have you ever mm -hmm. found yourself jumping in to fix one of your kids' problems only to discover that that was not what they needed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, for sure. You know, it's funny, though, because the first, like, instance that comes to mind is not with my, my kids, but thinking about my my husband and how he <laughs> jumps into fix yes. my problem. Oh my God. And yes. I had to like have a conversation like yesterday that was like, I don't receive this in the way that, you think <laughs> yes. that I receive this. It's not that helpful to me. Like, I, I, don't see I literally had this conversation at dinner tonight. I don't even remember what I was talking about, but my husband like jumped into like, Oh, here's what you need to do. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't clear. I, I didn't need you to solve the problem. I just needed some like empathetic listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy conversation, but yeah, I mean, I know, I know I do that with my kids like too. It's, you know, this is just our nature, right? Like we want to, we want to help people. We want to fix things, it's, you know, mm -hmm. but it, it, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Like the unsolicited advice is like, it's like one of the most universal communication barriers <laughs> yes. there is and I'd like studied them I looked into all these different communication barriers and it's so funny because we we're it we are so like naturally prone to do this it was so funny what was it okay so I went for a walk with my husband yesterday where he offered this unsolicited advice and then we had this <laughs> whole conversation about it and then, which was not like super fun conversation, but then anyway, we, we came back and we're walking down the path to my house and I see my friend's child outside playing in the snow. And, um, what was he do? Oh yeah. Yeah. He was like, I was like, he's like, yeah, I'm making a snowman. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm like, yeah, it's like great snowman snow. It's like really packable. He's like, yeah. He's like, I don't know. And he's just trying to pack it on. I'm like, oh yeah. Like you should probably roll it. <laughs> just like, it's so funny. I'm like, oh, unsolicited advice right there. Like I'm just offering this for you. He's like, duh, I know, you know, like, yes. I'm sure that's why he's this eight year old. I'm like, okay, here's Aww. some unsolicited advice, you know, but it's so funny to just watch these things in ourselves. It's like, oh, you know, and I get to see it wasn't helpful. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. telling him how to make a snowman. Ah. <laughs> I think it's like, it's been helpful for me to check in with myself when I go into these conversations um, to like sort of calibrate my intention. Like I have to go into these with the intention of like being there for them or like supporting them emotionally or whatever, as opposed to going into these interactions with, I'm going to, again, it's trying to like avoid the feeling, right? It's like you're trying to avoid your feel, your kid feeling pain. And so sometimes we can go into it with the intention that we're not aware of, of making the pain go away, like making the situation resolved. And that's really not what our kids actually need. And it's interesting because it really has to do with our own tolerance yes. for the feelings, you know, like when our, we just want our kids to be happy and be the source of happiness in our life. Of course we do. Like, of course, you know, I mean, that's just human nature. But, it, and I, and I think that really goes back to like a, a mindfulness practice where we learn to, we learn to sit and tolerate a lot of different things. And when we can expand that capacity, expand that muscle in ourselves, we can, um, we can be there more 
you know, more fully for our, our kids, you know, and that's, those are some of the benefits of, of mindfulness. Like it helps us to, you know, the, the research has shown it lowers anxiety, lowers depression, increases sense of well-being. But for parents, it really um, is really important to notice is that it, it increases our impulse control. Mm. And, and so it, and it, and what the way it does that is that we, we expand our ability to feel the sensations in our body. It sounds, it seems like it's like maybe this airy fairy thing, but it really is about coming to our senses, feeling the sensations in the body, you know, like Mm -hmm. noticing that when my child comes to me and she's like a snarky, annoying (laughs) teenager, um, (laughs) that, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, my reactivity comes from like, not wanting to tolerate that feeling that I'm feeling in there. And the more I can increase that, that capacity, the, the more present I can be. Yeah. I think sometimes the, the line gets blurred between us and other as well. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes we lose sight of what's ours and what's the other person's. So I will regularly have to remind myself that like, this is hers, like she owns this, or Mm -hmm. he, this is his, like he, he owns this. So this is his experience. This is his feeling sometimes. I think especially too, because I'm such a sensitive, like empathetic person, I probably have to remind myself of that maybe more than the average person, Mm -hmm. but just staying again, it like sort of comes back to that, like awareness and acknowledgement piece of like, sometimes I have to remind myself that, that like this is this is them and this is theirs and this is mine just just like getting clear on like who owns what sometimes is helpful for me oh for sure you know i talk about this with my clients in mindful parenting and sometimes we i i invite them into the it sounds like not so kind this mantra but not my problem right <laughs> like it's just like it's help for people who ha- you know a lot of yeah. us have those problems this boundary you know where we see those others as problems that are as our own and it does help us to like say this okay this is not my problem not my problem not my problem and then we can like be there for that person who's having a problem and a difficulty yeah, without taking it on. Yeah, yeah, because being like deeply and securely connected with your children, which I'm a huge advocate of, is not the same thing as like being enmeshed and living vicariously through them for better and for worse. <laughs> like you have yeah. to let them own their individuality and their journey. And just those two things like are like not mutually exclusive, like having a really deep connection and allowing them to be individual human beings. <laughs> yeah. Um, I went, I saw uh, Dr. Shafali Sabari uh, mm. speak one time and she said, love your children more and care less. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> you know, and she really meant like, like, yeah, like love them, but like, like, you know, you don't have to like, like care less about all the individual, all the little stuff, like all the little decisions and all the, you know, it's yeah. not, you know, let's, let's get a, a little separation from like, let's let them live their lives. Yeah. I did an episode on the self-driven child with the authors of that book and they're incredible and I love their work and that book is fantastic. And what I find in working with parents, like sometimes the obstacle to giving children the free freedom to direct their own selves and lives 
comes from a bit of like that boundary is or that 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 like line between the two humans is unclear <laughs> like that we need to like get clearer on like where you end and where your child begins so that you can allow them to own that fully yeah yeah okay let's talk about i messages um <laughs> quote from your book here let's be real in our interactions with our kids we're usually trying to manipulate them to make them do something we need to change our way of thinking from changing the other to expressing our own unmet needs and i want to put that on a billboard <laughs> how can i messages help us make this change yeah. I mean, well, it's like, uh, you didn't put away the dishes. You shouldn't talk that way to me. You, yeah. sh you know, all these like, kind of like you messages. Um, yeah. Instead of, you know, what's really the problem is, you know, what, what we need to think about is our needs. Like when, when we have a problem with someone else is because our own needs aren't being met. Um, you know, so like when my kids leave a mess in the kitchen, I can't use the kitchen. I can't, you know, I feel yeah. annoyed and all of those things. And so when, when we can, instead of, you know, if we're, we're talking to them about their, you know, kids are inevitably going to have unskillful, annoying <laughs> behavior. They're going <laughs> to break things like they're immature by definition, right? Yes. Like they are immature. So, um, we don't want, you know, that, the idea of like blaming and shaming, that's not the helpful. It, it just doesn't, you know, it causes all this resistance in our kids. You know, when I say you are, you did this or you're this or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like that doesn't exactly, it, it makes them want to resist our messages. And again, and, we're like removing that judgment piece. Right. And just like yeah. showing up as like, you're a human with needs and I'm a human with needs. And like that Venn diagram, like let's find yeah. the overlap. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if I can express my needs from my point of view, like there's not a lot of, to argue with, you know, like mm -hmm. if, you know, hey, I feel frustrated when there's food all over the kitchen on the counter because like, you know, I can't use the counter. Um, there's not a lot to argue with. Yes. Um, you know, they might say, well, you clean it up, you know, <laughs> being kids, but, <laughs> but, or for instance, it's like, you, you, I mean, the point is like when we communicate with our kids, we, we want to communicate in such a way that we are, we're inviting cooperation, right? Like there's mm -hmm. that connection is the glue. That connection is, is what makes them care about us. And we want them to cooperate with us because they intrinsically care about us, right? Not because we're holding that carrot and stick over them to make them do something. Right. Because that causes resentment and that really causes a lot of disconnection over time. And it's like, uh, you know, to to use, uh, you know, to to use like to make them do something by like, holding a punishment over them or a threat of a punishment, it really just makes them resent us and resist us. It, yeah. So it, it's just counterproductive. It just is not that effective. Mm -hmm. it, not only is it not very cool from like a human to human <laughs> standpoint, but it's just also ineffective, which, you don't know, don't be uncool. <laughs> don't be, don't be uncool, man. But so, 
you know, we want to think about what is more effective. So what causes less resistance? And if we can speak from ourselves and our own point of view, it just causes less resistance. Yes. And iMessages are so great because they build on all that like awareness and acknowledgement stuff that we've talked about up to this point in the conversation, right? Because you have to like be aware of your feelings and, yes. and acknowledge your needs. And like the iMessage just sort of gives you a nice like template in which to communicate that. And I also find it very empowering in those moments because it allows me to focus on what I can control. Like what is, mm -hmm. what is with, what is mine, right? Like as opposed mm -hmm. to focusing on this other human, because we, we ultimately cannot control another human being. So it allows me to just stay kind of in my lane and stay working on what's mine to work on, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and I appreciate you like pointing out that it really goes back to that mindfulness piece, that awareness piece, you know, as I, in my frustration as an, as a, um, young parent, I like started diving into learning like nonviolent communication mm -hmm. and, and I, and reading all these books and how to talk so kids can listen. I went and got trained as a parent effectiveness training instructor. <laughs> and I was remember being in San Diego and my parent effectiveness training and just being like, but you know, like there's this whole piece yeah. that's like comes before any of this stuff, you know, like yeah. there's this awareness piece that comes before any of this stuff that this is all just built on and assuming. Yeah. And so it really frustrated me. I was like, this needs mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about, I want, I want to talk about collaboration because it's sort of like it's like a nice natural culmination of all the things we've talked about. In authoritarian parenting, the parent wins, and in permissive parenting, the child wins. But we don't have to play that zero-sum game at all, and we can instead shift our focus to negotiating the conflict of needs. You describe mm -hmm. a process called win-win problem solving for this. Can you walk us through it? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those old models, they stink, right? Like, <laughs> like we said, don't be uncool, man. <laughs> don't be uncool. Like, like somebody's resentful in both those models, you know, yeah. like if you're, if your parent, you know, if you probably remember your parent always telling you what to do, like you probably really built up a lot of resentment to that, that, you know, and it's the same in that permissive model. And, and really we, we just want to, like, we can step out of that completely and say, okay, like, conflicts are inevitable in human relationships. But what's really going on here is that we have conflicts of needs and we have conflicts of values, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, we have conflicts because our different needs aren't being met. If you're, you know, if you're, um, if your kid is not getting themselves dressed in the morning and causing you to be late to your work, like that you, you have a need that's not being met and there's a conflict of needs there, right? So when we can look at problems this way, it's enormously freeing because then we can say, well, there's lots of different solutions to meet yes. everybody's needs. You know, it's not most of the problem, the time, most of the time we get stuck in just like conflicts of solutions. Like, you know, there's this one solution and that's in conflict with this other solution. But if we can get underneath that layer and say, okay, well, what are we really needing? Then that opens up like a whole bunch of different solutions. Like for instance, you know, like, I don't know, you know, 
my uh, <laughs> my daughter loves animals, really wanted a pet, wanted a companion to take care of, et cetera. And we, both of us, got really kind of hung up on the solution of getting a, this is a random like example, but we really got hung up on the solution of getting a miniature pony that we really wanted for the house. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we, I figured out like where we could put a little stall in the front room and how we could attach a trailer to the, and you know, and I had these visions of me jogging around the neighborhood with my little miniature pony. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but then, you know, that solution was going to, wasn't really going to work for a number of reasons, including that we have a lot of English ivy in our house and it, it's a little illegal actually for our situation. So, <laughs> you know, it was like, what's the need here, you know, and, and we ended up getting a wonderful rescue dog. It's kind of a random s- example, but it really is about just like looking at what are your needs? What are my needs? Let's get a little creative. Think of like more than one solution. Let's try to make a whole list of solutions and try to get creative about how we can both meet our needs. And it gives us the gift of visualizing you running through your neighborhood with (laughs) a miniature horse behind you. So sad. The (laughs) win-win problem solving. It's, I mean, it's like similar to Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication, like you mentioned earlier, and like Ross Green's collaborative and proactive solutions. And I usually refer to that work simply as collaboration. And like I mentioned earlier, like I visualize it as like a Venn diagram where you have your kids' needs in one circle and your needs in another. And like that sweet spot is in the overlap. And so sometimes it's just so, so helpful. And it like disarms all the like triggers and hooks and baggage when you just come together as two human beings with needs and like find that overlap, right? Like find a solution that addresses both of those needs. So I love that. Yes. 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 Let's, and that's another great example of micro macro level thing. Just want to say this here, right? Because like in the macro level right now, we suffer in a lot of ways from that. Like one authority is just telling everybody else what to do, right? Like that's a big problem in our society. If we can teach our kids to take into account that both their needs and other people's needs and figure out solutions from there, not only are they going to do better in their workplace, but then what we do in the family is what ends up being part of what we do in society as well. And it's part of that evolution. Yes. It's a, such a tremendous, like it like resolves the issue in the present moment. Yes. And it gives your kids this incredible tool, like selfishly for getting what they want. Like you, you can more effectively get what you want in the world. If you have the ability to meet other people's needs in the process of meeting your own, like it's an incredible skill set and it makes the world a better place. It's like, how many wins do you need people? Like get on board. (laughs) Woot woot. (laughs) Okay. I asked the Sage family community what questions they had about mindfulness and Carly asks how to get grandparents to be mindful with your child. What advice do you have for that, Hunter? Uh, That's a tough question, you know, and it really would depend on the grandparents. But we also, we really need to think about, um, well, well, what I would invite you, I guess, to think about is what are the essential attitudes of mindfulness? And so mindfulness is putting our attention in the present moment with a sense of kindness and curiosity. And so I guess it would depend on your relationship with your grandparents, like, or with your parents, um, 
you know, but I guess it, I would think about inviting them into the attitude of curiosity. Like, I wonder why, you know, Alex is doing this thing. You know, I wonder why Sophie, I wonder what's, what is the need behind what Sophie's trying to do there, right? So starting to kind of ask those questions and just invite in curiosity, I think is a way to open up, move, help move others from the, um, that like judgmental autopilot labeling place into that place of curiosity. So that's one way um, for somebody who may not necessarily be so open to it, but to get grandparents to be more mindful with children, I would invite you really to actually in a lot of ways, start with yourself. Like what, what can you take? You know, what can you start your own practice? Can you, start your own practice. And then as you're practicing for a few months and learning about it, because you then talk about it, you know, what it, from your own experience, from real life, your own experience. And that's really, if when we're, sh- when we're, you know, this is similar sometimes the question to when people ask me about like kids, how can we teach kids to be more mindful? Like we want to actually live it first. Yes. You know, so we're not saying, oh, here, you do this. Yes. You do this thing. It's going to help Being you hypocrites. Like, calm down and, <laughs> you know, and all that. You do that work so I can feel better. But instead, let us do that work and then share from our own experience and from the heart. Um, and without and I and we got to let go of the expectation that we're going to make them do a certain thing. Mm. But we can open up a possibility of interest in that. Ooh, I loved that last bit that you said. I will link in the show notes and refer people to two earlier episodes of this podcast, one on judgment with Tracy Gillette and one on peaceful partnership with Avital. And I think both of those um, can kind of bring the pieces together of like you can't control another person, which Hunter talked about beautifully, that like you show up with mindfulness and there's sort of a gravity to that, that the people around you are affected by. And then also letting go of your attachment to controlling other people, which you cannot do. And thus you may have to bring in boundaries. Um, Mm -hmm. so like, like establishing really clear boundaries for what sort of treatment is okay for your grandparents to, uh, you know, to treat your kids and, and what's not and, and how to hold those boundaries in a way that like we talked about, right? Like meet some of your parents' needs and meets your kids' needs. And you sort of advocate for, for a safe container for that relationship in which that relationship can flourish. Yes. Okay. The show notes can be found at sagefamily.com slash podcast 57, where you can also subscribe and get future show notes sent right to your inbox. What, Hunter, are your favorite resources for people to dive deeper into this topic? And I am, of course, going to include a link to your book, which I loved and added to my gentle parenting book list, and to your class, which you are welcome to talk about, along with any other resources you have for us. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, well, I, at mindfulmamamentor.com, you can find the everything and the mindful parenting membership is there you can dive in i've got a i'll have a free resource up real soon we're making we've just made a new video on how to stop yelling in 10 seconds so maybe <laughs> close your mouth a, maybe that's appealing to you yes close your mouth this is the, sh- <laughs> the shortcut no 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 but um <laughs> but there's also a, a bunch of resources there and since you're a podcast listener you'll 
probably enjoy the Mindful Mama podcast. You can listen to one cool episode with this crazy lady called Rachel Rainbow <laughs> from <laughs> as well as other uh, episodes. We've got 261 and counting, so Ooh. there's a whole back catalog to, to check out. But, um, but yeah, come connect with me and tell me what your takeaways are from this conversation at Instagram. I'm at Mindful Mama Mentor, and I'd, I'd love to hear what you thought. Thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me. I wish we lived closer so we could like take pony jogs together and (laughs) (laughs) just hang out. Yes, that would be super fun. I know. I I, I thought that I remember thinking that last time. I was like, I want to hang out with Rachel. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode good for you you rock you made it all the way to the end here wow i am impressed high fives to you thank you so very much i am so so grateful that you did i appreciate your time your ears and your attention and i know how valuable it is it may be the most valuable thing we have so i really really appreciate you sharing it with me i'm very honored so Before we go, I just want to remind you that I am opening enrollment for the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training Program, and you can learn more about that at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach, and it is to teach the Mindful Parenting Method in person. You can go there and learn about what the Mindful Parenting Method is, what are the different modules and the framework that we teach, and the dates. And it is the fall 2021 session, and that gives you between May and August to do the online course too if you haven't, if you are not currently a member. So go there, mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach to learn more about it. And again, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your shout outs on social media, on Instagram. Love those. So great to hear your ahas from these episodes. And I can't wait to hear them from this episode too. And so I'm wishing you a peaceful, more grounded week. For me too, man, it's been a week here. We've had the dog in the emergency room and sick kids and all kinds of stuff here this week. So I am going to be getting myself outside in nature, out for a run, and definitely keeping my meditation practice strong to keep me grounded as I surf these waves. It really does make me so much more resilient to all this stuff that's happening than I ever would have been. So I'm so grateful for it. So I hope that is true for you too, my friend. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I had this 
you can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 